Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. That's one of us. It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. There we go. There's three or four. That's a little better. I do that to my home congregation as well whenever I have the opportunity. And uh, Brother Bell was talking to a couple of people during dinner, and I, I am a, an electrician, but I'm also an auctioneer. So, Brother, if you want me to get an hour message in 20 minutes, we can get it done if you need to. Uh, I just don't know that y'all be able to understand much of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might, it might, oh my goodness. Uh, well, a little bit about me, just in case, uh, for some of you who don't know me too well, and, and Brother Bell uh, alluded a little bit to ministries of our church, we, I've grown up in the same church for, I'm 28 years, so 25 years, been in the same church, and Lord's blessed being able to uh, be close to my pastor, Brother Donaldson, he was like a grandpa to me growing up, and been trained in uh, the institute there in the church, and it's been a blessing just to be able to start taking the next step in what I believe uh, God has for me. God called me to preach when I was 14 years old at Triple S Youth Camp. I can't tell you the date because I'm terrible and have a terrible memory, but I know it was at youth camp. I know it was a Thursday night, and I know the message that was preached, and God laid it on my heart that, hey, I want you because, uh, you know, you've grown up in church. You have a different uh, background than a lot of people, and I can use you. And I said, okay, Lord, that's what you want me to do, then that's what I'll do. And I surrendered to God's call in my life then. Since then, I've been training and, and have not... Uh, felt God calling me away from my church to start anything else and have been perfectly happy uh, learning because uh, as, as we see in the scriptures, a lot of times it takes a lot of learning before God pulls that man out of the situation he's in. There's young men in the Bible that God uses, but uh, you understand that Joseph had to go through almost 30 years of, of training before God could use him to save the known world. It took Moses 80 years before God could use him, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness before God could use him. And I've been uh, taking advantage of this training time and, and just absolutely enjoying every step of the way. And our church, we uh, support many missionaries, but one of the, the, my youth pastor growing up, Brother Daniel Holmes, he felt God's call to Russia. Uh, I believe that'd be about 12 years ago now, really close to 10 years ago, maybe 10 or 12. Either way, he went to Russia. Uh, started a church there, and they found out that he was there preaching the gospel, and they told him he had 72 hours to get out of the country, or we'd never hear from him or his family again. And so they made it back to the States and spent a year uh, visiting the churches and, and about another six months at our church, kind of reevaluating. And then they went back to the Russian-speaking people in Ukraine. The languages are very close, and they've been there for six years, I believe, and start five or six years, and they've started... Uh, two different works. They're actually in the capital city of Kiev and then in a village just north of there. And uh, it's been a blessing to see what God can do through them. And uh, they've got a nationalist pastor that had started working with them and they've kind of trained him. And he's the one that uh, when the war broke out, Brother Daniel and his family came back to the States for their safety and obvious reasons. And so uh, that man's kind of taken over well, he needed a little more training, so Brother Dima was able to get his family that he had already escorted out. They hadn't seen each other in eight months, because when the war started, he, him and his, his wife and his, uh, their little daughter and their unborn child, he drove them to the border, got them into Poland, and, and thought he would never see them again. Uh, came back in and said, Lord, you know, I can't leave the country, but I'm going to serve you right here with my people that you've blessed me with. And so he served there and about... A month ago, we were able to get him and his family back into the States, and that was the first time they'd seen each other in seven months. So since the baby uh, was, was brand new there, and, and so they uh, 
have been a blessing already in our church, seeing what they came from. And we think in America, uh, we have problems. We have trials and burdens to bear. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you, we have nothing compared to other people in other parts of the world. A, a, a little sickness, a little illness, a little car trouble, a little anything will keep us out of church, seems like. And I'm, maybe you people are a little more different than the, uh, everyone else that I know. But it seems like people are looking for more excuses to figure out how not to do the, the, the church thing, as they call it, not to go to church, not to live for God, then they are actually investing in time. Okay, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. And these people have been through so much and they've been so faithful. But uh, the plan is for Brother Dima to stay with us for a, a year, maybe a little longer as his visa will allow and be able to train him to go back and take care of that. Meanwhile, his dad is still over there and uh, taking care of the Kiev church. And then there's a, a gentleman that uh, lives in a village church where the average salary of everyone in the village is around $250 a month. That is their salary, and that is what they live in, and that is how they handle their business. And uh, they live very, very modestly, but one of the things that happened when the Russians came and took that village, they were all scared. Nobody left. They couldn't leave the village, but they still met as much as they could. When the Ukrainians pushed the Russians back out of the village, they started church right back up and immediately had more people coming to church than they did before the, the Russians came in. And they've been doing an amazing work there. And they, they run uh, 20 to 25 people every service. And they're, they're just, uh, God's blessing them. And the, the young man that's there, Vasya, he said he didn't want to leave. He was going to stay there in Ukraine. God was going to teach him. And uh, God was going to train him. And God was going to help him. And so Brother Daniel's continued correspondence with him. And Anyway, that, that was a long way to tell you a little bit about uh, the Ukrainian ministry that our church has. And if, if you want to put something down on a prayer card, a prayer list that you want to pray for Brother Jacob for, pray for the Ukrainians that are over there that are still dealing with sub-zero temperatures with no electricity, no water, no gas, no utilities. About the only place you can find electricity right now in the city of, Ukra in the city of Kiev and in most of Ukraine or hospitals where they have generators that are running. Uh, they, they've told everybody that if you can get out, get out because we can't keep you warm through the winter. We can't supply the power for you. And so uh, the, the Christians that are there and, and through our two ministries that we have, we've, we've been in contact with other people that are there that are doing a great work. So do pray for uh, other Christians in other parts of the world, not just in Ukraine, but just remember that when we, we go about our daily lives, the little, little problems that we have really aren't that little when we start thinking about what other people are going through just for the cause of Christ. So that was a real uh, short version. I could take that on and on and on and on and, and preach a message on that. But in the idea of New Year's, kind of thought about what, what, what is everybody's, what is the, the first thing that comes to your mind? I'm going to ask for a little bit of class participation. Is that okay, Brother Bell? Okay, what is the first thing that comes to mind people think of New Year's? Resolutions, very good. Goals, what's the first thing that comes to mind for resolutions? Diet. Diet, there you go. We're going to go through the top 10 New Year's resolutions. Why, why do you need to diet, Brother Bell? Because you've been eating on good food since Thanksgiving and too much of it, and we all feel a little bit just, oh, I've had too much to eat, and we need to cut a little bit of that off. And so we're going to look at 10 different uh New Year's resolutions, and how in the world can you apply these to your spiritual life? And when you take a look at New Year's resolutions, what are they designed to do? They're designed to make you better next year. 
than you were last year, right? Well, in the Christian life, it's kind of a daily thing, and we should always be striving tomorrow to be a better Christian than we were today, and, and today better than yesterday, and, and building one day upon another. And in our text of Philippians chapter 3, uh, we're going to be there this evening. That's kind of our launch pad, if you will. There's going to be a little bit of a, a finger flipping or finger running, or, or what was the old say, keep your fingers running on the, 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 the yellow pages. I'm too young for that, brother. Yeah, let your fingers do the walking, whatever it was. I, I knew there was a, a saying there. But in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture. You say, well, brother, brother Jacob is, is setting goals for our lives, setting personal goals. Is this scriptural? Because you can set goals apart from God, and you can set goals for yourself. And, well, let, let's look at what scriptural goals are. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 It says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, the goal, if you will, the, the target. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect or or mature, be thus minded, and if in, in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as I come before you tonight, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word with the people that are here this evening. And Lord, I, I thank you for every opportunity you let me to be able to, uh, to give a message, Lord, that you've given to me and, and help me never to take it lightly or for granted or, or any of those things. But Lord, I pray that you would let me set aside the ideas that I have for this message. And Lord, let your Holy Spirit work in the hearts of your people and inscribe on their hearts what you have from this message and the messages to follow. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to set aside the things of this last year, then uh, we can't change whether they were good or they were bad. Let us not live in the past, but let us press forward in the future for what you have for us and your coming, and let us be found faithful when you call us home. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for your son that died on the cross for us. and Help us to share your love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to set goals in our lives, to, to set a goal apart from God is absolutely wrong, but... The Bible here, Paul here tells the church at Philippi, tells the Philippians there, he says, hey guys, you need to press toward the mark, just as I haven't arrived, and Paul is sitting in jail, nearing the end of his life at this point, he's, he's, he's saying, you guys, I haven't arrived, we need to continue to march forward and to press toward the mark, the new targets, the new goals, and Paul at this point in his ministry has accomplished many, 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 many good things, time would fail us to tell of all of the things that he has accomplished by this point, the missionary journeys, the the preaching, the teaching, the souls that have been saved by now. And, and if you could say he was a very successful Christian. He was a successful missionary. We look up to him. And, and so uh, he says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still pushing forward to new goals. So if Paul can look to new goals, then I think it's important that we examine ourselves and look within ourselves and say, God, what kind of goals do you want me to set? Because you start looking inside, and and Brother Jacob starts looking at Brother Jacob for who Brother Jacob is outside of the church, in his house, behind closed doors, and and the thoughts that are there, the the, the true desires of your heart. You say, well, 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 Brother Jacob... you're looking introspectively. We're not, isn't that being self-centered? Aren't you, aren't you looking at yourself and you're bothered with yourself and you forget other people? No, 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 no. In Psalm 26 and verse two, David says, examine me, O Lord, uh, improve me and try my reins. 
and my heart. It's important that we take a moment and we examine ourselves because we get so busy helping others in the Christian life. We get so busy doing good things. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, but we get so busy in doing other things that we can kind of let some things go because we're, we're helping other people. Lord, I'm doing a good work for you, but God sometimes wants us to stop, look at this line in the sand of the new year, and he says, hey, Stop. What goals are you trying to attain to? What are, it's good that we're pushing other people and edifying one another and lifting one another up and trying to encourage others to do good. But what are you trying to do, Brother Jacob? What are you trying to do, church? What are you trying to do in your personal life? Paul says three different times when he's speaking in First uh, and Second Corinthians in chapter 9 and chapter 11 of First Corinthians. And in Second Corinthians chapter 13, he uses the phrase examine yourself in one instance he is talking of the lord's supper examine yourself to make sure that you're having the lord's supper god's way so if you will take a little liberty you're doing god's work god's way so examine yourself to make sure that what you're doing in the faith is truly the way god wants it done is your relationship with god right as you're serving him and then the other two instances are examine yourself to see whether ye be in the faith, those words were uttered when men in the church were accusing Paul of being a blasphemer and saying, well, we need to keep the law. We have to, and they were saying, well, well Paul's saying you, we don't need to keep the law anymore. Paul's saying that we, we can live any old way. Paul's saying you have liberty in Christ. No, 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 that's not it. We have to go by the old ways, and we have to go by the law. And they were hanging on to that pharisaical traditions that they had been taught and they weren't giving up to the liberty and the grace and the, uh, that Jesus Christ had died for. And that's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. He said no. And uh, in Romans, he, he goes over this extensively and he says, guys, Jesus died. He, he fulfilled the law. He, he took care of the law. And he says in, in Romans, uh, 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 oh, goodness, I can't remember the verse. But he says, uh, shall we that are, are dead to sin live any, any longer there? And shall we continue in sin, rather, that grace should abound? He said, no. Why, why are we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He said, that's, that's, that's not our job to just throw away the law. Because he says, without the law, we wouldn't know what was right and wrong. We wouldn't know what sin was. But simply put, it's important that we examine ourselves, and so we make sure that our relationship with God is correct. But then when you start looking at other people, and uh, we, we, we get in this mindset, judge not that you be not judged, that is absolutely correct. But in the Christian life, it is important that if you see a brother that's falling, ye that are, are spiritual, lift up, teach edify those that are carnal those that are in need of teaching so as we look at other people and we're teaching other people and we're trying to lift them up make sure that we're on the same plane that we really think we are because we can be uh trying to push them up when really we're we're oh brother you need to be doing this and you need to be doing more for god and you need to change this in your life but all the while what example are you setting? How are you living your life? Are you at the same standard that you're even trying to pull people up to? So we need to examine ourselves. Just as Simeon in the temple, uh, the Bible says that he was a just and devout man. What do those two words mean? Just in his dealing with others. He was uh, dealt with justice and he was devout. And the Bible says that the, an angel of the Lord revealed to him, the Lord had revealed to him that... He wasn't going to die before he had seen the Messiah. He wasn't going to die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
Now, this was in a time period where, if, if you understand, this is in the 400 silent years, as we call them. There wasn't an open revelation from God. There wasn't a, a prophet. They were going off of what was written in the Old Testament. There wasn't an open revelation to God, but there was a man, just as we see consistently throughout the Scripture, in the days of Noah, nobody was living right, but Noah was still staying faithful and still doing what God wanted him to do, and God chose Noah. God chose Simeon, and, and uh, we see Zacharias and Elizabeth and uh, this, John the Baptist there in the conception with John the Baptist and Mary. And there, were, there were still people that were doing right and were looking for what God wanted them to do. And Simeon, it's, it's significant that the Bible says he was just and devout. You cannot be just in your dealings with men unless your relationship with God is right. And you cannot be right with God unless your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ is right. We see that in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, if you go to the altar, you're going to perform a sacrifice. You're going to do something for God. And you realize you have something wrong with a brother or somebody has wronged you. You've wronged somebody. You need to go and get that thing right with that brother before you can ever have your sacrifice accepted. Before what you're doing is going to be blessed by God. You have to make sure that you're right with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have to make sure that our relationship with each other is right and our relationship with God is right. And then God can begin to bless our endeavors. So as we look to our goals that we're going to set, let us make sure that we're doing them in the right heart, the right attitude, the right mind with everyone else and especially with our relationship with God. Because once you get your relationship with God right, your relationship with others is pretty easy to handle, pretty easy to sift out. But if you've got your relationship with God wrong, you're going to have a lot of problems, even in your dealings with other people. So we find out uh, that, that to set goals means that you have to strive to do something. Paul said, I press toward the mark. He said, well, Brother Jacob, isn't that works? Aren't you trying to perform works? To do what's better for God. You're supposed to be a spiritual pot roast. The Holy Spirit is supposed to put you in the cock pot and sit you there until you're done. And everybody just has to deal with how I am while I'm finished cooking. No, we're not a band of Christian pot roast feeding Satan every day. The song goes, we're a band of Christian soldiers fighting Satan every day. We're standing up for Jesus while we're kneeling down to pray. And if his precious blood has cleansed you and washed away your sin, then... You, that makes you a member of the blood-washed band. It's not an idea that while we're, uh, that people say, well, well, the Bible says that uh, we're to, to stand still and know that I am God. Absolutely, 100%. There are times where God needs you to stop doing something so he can get your attention to prove that he is in control. But that doesn't mean, how many, is anybody a veteran in this room this evening? Brothers, when you guys went to boot camp, right? All of you had to perform boot camp. When you went there, did they sit you in a classroom and play a video of how to do push-ups and how to run miles and how to, how to, how to uh, do pull-ups and all of the strenuous exercises? Did they sit you in a classroom and show you videos on how to do that? Absolutely not. They ran, they screamed, they hollered, they pushed you to your limits. Why? To make you a better soldier because you could be useless to the mission plan as, as you were before because you weren't trained. The, the Christian life is the same way. We can't just expect to sit 
in a church, good, godly Bible teaching, Bible preaching, on fire for God church, and you're sitting there doing absolutely nothing, just expecting God to do something with you. It doesn't work that way. You have to get up, and you, you, we want to be the Pauls that we read about. We want to be the great missionaries of the uh, bygone eras that we read about, but we don't want to put in the work to get to there. We only see the glory. We only see the stories of, of how God changed their lives, but we don't see the struggles that they went through. And we don't understand the, the, the work that goes into it. And then when we, we set out, we set our goals and we say, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. The first time Satan comes up and punches us in the mouth, we haven't been trained. We haven't sat and, and stopped and made sure that our goals that we're pushing for are training ourselves for what God has for us. And then when we, we do feel like we're ready for a battle and God says, okay, I'm ready to use you. When you go into that battle, your strength is not your own. Your strength is the Lord's. Too many guys will go out and they'll, they'll try to start a, a, an endeavor of the church, whether it's a, a new class or a new outreach, or, or they'll go out, even missionaries, sometimes, uh, brother, preachers in this room, you've seen it, where they go out of their own strength because it's something, they have a desire. There's nothing wrong with the desire. There's nothing wrong with the, the want to, but they go out and they haven't done it God's way. And then they end up failing and they end up uh, feeling overwhelmed and, 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 and they have grief and they have all these uh, negative emotions, if you will. And I don't believe in living in emotionalism, but they experience all these negative things in their lives. Why? Because they haven't been trained properly. They haven't done things God's way. Now, we're a band of Christian soldiers. And does that mean every one of us can be a general? Does that mean every one of us can be a Navy SEAL? Does that mean every one of us have the same exact job? Absolutely not. Why? Because the, the mission wouldn't go on if it was just one particular specially trained unit in one specific thing. What about if, if you just had infantry? What would happen if, if you needed radio communications? What would happen if you needed uh, artillery? What would happen if you needed the Air Force involved? What would happen if we were all just trained one way? We read about Paul, and, and no doubt, Paul and John the Baptist were two of the greatest uh, missionary men that we can read about today, and including the ones in more recent history, but you can read and you can see God using them, and we look up to them, but does that discount anyone that was mentioned in Romans 16, or does that discount anyone that was written in the epistles where Paul said, hey, take in mind, Phoebe, that dearly beloved sister, take in mind all of these other people that were listed that we have no idea who they really were, what they really did, what their relationship with Paul was, but you know what? They had a job, and they did it, and Paul said, I commend these brothers and sisters because they stayed faithful, and they did what they were told to do God's way. It doesn't mean that you're going to be used in this, in, in, in this day and age of we want everyone to look at us. If you're wanting to do God's work so you can get accolades from other people, you're doing the wrong thing. It, that's, that's, that's not how God's work works. Uh, it, it's... We're to do it for the glory of God. So when we're doing these things, we need to make sure that whatever our job is, especially in these training exercises, in these goals that we set for ourselves to attain, to be more useful in the mission plan that God has for us, we need to make sure that we're pushing forward and understanding that, you know, maybe our job isn't as glamorous as we want it to be, but without the behind-the-scenes characters... The main mission can never be 
completed. So you say, well, Brother Jacob, is that a scriptural premise? Well, absolutely. We see all sorts of examples of, of soldiers in the Bible. But uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Thou therefore, talking to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for the masteries, means you want to be the best at whatever you're working at, yet... He's not crowned except for he strive lawfully. He go for it the whole way and he does everything by the book. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. And in verse 7, he says, Consider what I say, the Lord give thee understanding. Go back to Philippians chapter 3, you're all still there. And in verse number 15, after he tells him, I'm pressing toward the mark, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, let us therefore, as many as be perfect... Be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. This principle of pushing forward and setting new goals, he says, even this. He says, if any of you be otherwise minded, all of these other things that I've spoken about, then, you know, I'll pray that God should reveal even this, even this thing, that you need to attain to new goals and push to learn more about God, I'll pray that God reveals that to you. And in verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Consider what I say, after he spoke about being a soldier of Christ, the Lord give thee understanding in all things. And I find that this is a common theme when Paul is going through, especially talking to those that he's trying to lift up in the faith, and those that he's trying to teach and train, once he finishes a thought, he says, now, if this doesn't make sense to you, and we find out that Peter said, Paul preaches some things that are hard to be understood, and Paul says in his writings, he says, if this is hard to understand for you, if you be otherwise minded, or consider what I say, the Lord's going to give you understanding. You're at a part of the journey where you're still in your basic training, so to speak, or you're, you're not in the advanced lessons yet, and somebody tries to teach a person that's in kindergarten math, calculus is not going to work out very well. Absolutely not. The Bible has many analogies of babies in Christ growing to be young men, and I write unto you fathers, and I write unto you older men, that you would teach the younger, that we would lift them up, so... In our Christian lives, there's going to be some things that we maybe don't understand. We say, Lord, these are the goals that we should set for ourselves in our training. Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand what you're saying in the scriptures. Lord, reveal this thing to me. Lord, I don't understand what you want me to do with my life. Lord, reveal this thing to me. And these things that we don't understand is what we need to be striving to progress in our training, progress in what God has given us to understand, because then we can be that, uh, in, in verse 15 of Philippians chapter 3, let, as many there, let us therefore as many as be perfect. That word perfect there means mature, complete in Christ. Only then, once you've pushed through those marks and you've gained that training, you've gained that knowledge, can you be considered that complete that mature, grown-up in Christ. So, that gives us a few minutes as we set goals for our life to go through the top ten 
And I'll try to do it as quickly as I can. And, and if we don't get to all of them, then, then that's all right. But uh, to exercise more is absolutely, that's number one. That's, that in 2022, they did a poll, exercise more is number one. To lose weight is in close conjunction, but is number two. To get organized, to learn a new skill or hobby, to live life to the fullest, to save more money or spend less money, to quit smoking, to spend more time with family and friends, to travel more, and to read more. And you say, Brother Jacob, what in the world do half of those have anything to do with the Christian life? Well, let's see how many we can get through. To exercise more. Number one, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, go ahead and turn there. It's just a little bit, a uh, couple of pages to the right, if you will. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to bounce too many times, but uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Verse number 7 says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather, therefore, unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Now we understand that... Uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, this is speaking of the end times. Now, the Spirit express, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so uh, Paul goes on to warn Timothy of these people that are going to take on, and specifically speaking here, of uh, the people who were condemning people of meat. In verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving to them which believe and know the truth. And so he's, these, these other people are saying, well, you should keep a certain diet based on Judaism. You should, you should keep certain parts of the law based on their old traditions, their old wives' fables, their own oral traditions that, that had been passed down so many times that was ingrained into them that in order for you to be what God wants you to be, you have to keep this set of laws. And, and modern-day Christians, we have to be careful. Standards are absolutely number one, a wonderful thing in your life. Convictions of what is right and wrong is absolute must, but we need to make sure that our standards aren't replacing biblical scripture of what God says is right and wrong, and we hold our standards, and we say our standards are more important than what God's word actually says, and so we need to be careful of that, because that's what these people were doing to Timothy of the church at Ephesus there, and he's a young pastor, and he's trying to lead the flock of God there, and it had boomed. There were 3,000 people added to the church there, and there were, there were, uh, it was a huge church that, were, that was growing, and, and Timothy is leading these people, and he's trying to be a pastor there, and well, there's people that are going against him. Why? Because he's young, and in fact, we see that in other places of the scripture here. He says, don't, don't let him despise your youth, Timothy. You, you've been trained well. Do what God's told you to do, but he says here, refuse profane and old wives' fables. Those things that you've been taught to do just because that's, I don't know, why, why, do, why do we do that in church? Well, it's because 40 years ago they started this and we just do it just for the sake of doing it. Or 100 years ago they started this. We just do it for the sake of doing it. Well, is it, is it uplifting the body of Christ? Is it helping the body of Christ? Or are we just doing it because it's, it's what we've been taught? He says, uh, it, get rid of those old things, refuse those old things when they're telling you to do things that, that aren't scripture, Stay with the scripture. He says, but exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Stop setting your standards above 
God's word because God's word should be the standard. For bodily exercise profiteth little. He says, yeah, you know, these, these guys that are out here, no doubt he had the Greek and Roman culture in mind where everybody was all about the big and the strong and the tough and it was all about the biggest, fastest, strongest you could be. And all of the work that would go into the Olympiads, uh, going to the Olympics. And uh, he says that, that bodily exercise, you can have muscles upon muscles and yeah, it, it profits a little. I mean, that's, that's great, good for you. you. You have a healthy body. He says, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So if you're going to exercise something, exercise your body, exercise your spiritual mind in this, because it doesn't matter how many muscles you have. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. The hospitals are full of people and the graveyards are full of people that could have ran a marathon yesterday, but they're, they're in the hospital, they're in the ground today. You're, you're going to die regardless, so you might as well do something that's going to amount to something in the afterlife, if you want to put it that way. When you, when you get to heaven, you don't want to be sitting there thinking, man, I was wasting time worried about what I looked like or, or, or how, I, how I sounded or, or I, was, I was worried about all these little things in life and I'm sitting here and I'm standing before God. I have nothing to show because I cared about me more than I cared about God. Amen. To exercise more. In the new year, this should be something that is every day for each Christian. But as we, we set these goals, this line in the sand that says, next year I'm going to try to do better. Well, set this line in the sand that says, tomorrow I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try to exercise more into godliness rather than worry about what's going on that's affecting my physical body. Worry about what's affecting my spiritual body. To lose weight. If you're going to exercise more, then the idea is that you're going to trim off some of the pounds that you've gained over the Thanksgiving and Christmas break. And you're going to lose weight. Well, what does that have anything to do with the Christian life? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, very common verse again. But if we'll go ahead and just flip over there. Not very far away. And verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses that are referenced in chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I read this verse, and... If we're to, what, is, what, what should be the goal of every single believer? To be like Christ. They were, they were called Christians first at Antioch. Why? Because they were little Christ. They behaved like Christ. So that should be each and every believer's goal in their daily life, is to be more and more like Christ. Now, are we going to attain sinless perfection? Are we going to attain Godhood? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. Don't twist my words. But... Our idea for our life should be to be as sinless as we can be to attain to what God wants us to be because we have him as an example. And Paul here says that looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be sinless. We want to make the God the Father happy with how we're living our lives. Well, Jesus is the only one that's ever been able to do that completely. He was the only one that's ever been sinless. He's the only one that's ever, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the only one that can, could, or ever would do what God the Father exactly wanted him to do. So you want to please God the Father. We need to look at Jesus Christ and look at how he lived his life and say, okay, that's what I need to pattern my life after. And that's, you know, that should be something that's, that's common to every believer. But in order to do this, we're to lay aside every weight 
and sin. Now, weights and sins are two different things. We, we, this is a common concept. It's not anything new to anybody. But obviously, the sins in your life, we're supposed to lay aside. But what are the weights? Those are those things that aren't sinful. They're not inherently bad. But do they take away your time from doing more for God? Do they take away your time from being involved in the training process that God is trying to bring you through in your daily devotions, in your daily life? Do they take you away from those things? Those are those weights that we need to lay off. And, right. and why do we need to do that? Because we're looking to Jesus. The, the ultimate result was for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. When you... When you uh, set out to lose more weight, you, you, you seek a goal, and once you attain that goal, it makes you happy. It, it gives you uh, good feelings when you attain your goal. Well, Jesus said, or, or Paul says here, that Jesus had a goal, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, but then it says despising the shame. Well, how can you have shame and joy in the same moment? Well, he, he his physical body felt the shame and the reproach of the cross Amen. he sweat as it were great drops of blood angels had to come and minister to him there in the garden of gethsemane because of the weight he was under because he, he was going against he was god in the flesh jesus christ could not sin he, he if he wanted to he couldn't have why because he was god in the flesh he could not but in that moment he was already feeling the weight of yours and my sins, something that was so far inconceivable from an almighty God even to, to, to say, Lord, Father, what is this weight that is upon me? It's not anything that he'd ever experienced before that he could even think about because it wasn't, it wasn't part of God. God cannot sin. And so he's sitting there and he's saying, the, the shame and the, the, the weight that was there how could that equal to joy? Because Jesus Christ knew that once he accomplished the cross from the beginning, from the foundation of the world, this was his moment. This was his spot where God the Father says, uh, and, 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 and he says, son, this is your moment. This is what I, uh, you were called to do, if you will. And so he died on the cross and for the joy... What's the Bible say? There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. For every rejoicing session in heaven, Jesus Christ was sitting there for the joy that's set before me, for the accomplishment of my goal. He endured the shame of the cross and he, 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 he grasped onto that and he embraced the shame that was there for you and I so that he could experience the joy that was going to be in heaven over every sinner that would repent and everyone that would be called home to live with him. And for the redemption process, that was there, but in order to do that, in order to have the joy of bringing people—that's that's our goal. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and and and, and to bring people with us right to Christ. Uh, I, I, must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior? So not one soul with which to greet him. Much must I empty-handed go? Our our goal should be to bring others to heaven with us, right? So if we're to have the joy of seeing our friends, our family, our co-workers, the, the people that we meet on the street brought to heaven with us, you know what? Maybe we have to have a little bit of shame. Maybe we have to experience a little bit of uh, un, uh, discomfort in order to bring people to heaven with us, in order to experience that joy, to accomplish that goal. We're not going to get through all of these. <sighs> but to get organized, 
If there's one thing that Brother Jacob needs in his life more than anything, it is organization. I am terrible at that. My wife can attest to it. If I need something, say, babe, where did I put that? Because I don't remember. Because it's, it's been put somewhere and, and, and I am terrible with it. She is much more organized than I am. But Brother Jacob, what does being organized have anything to do with your work in, in Christ? Well, in Proverbs 27, verse 23, it's important that Solomon says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. It's our responsibility to know men of our households the state of our herd, the state of our flocks, the state of our family. What can Brother Jacob control? Brother Jacob cannot control what's going on outside his, his house doors. I, I can't even control other people in the church. You can't control uh, the brother that's sitting in this pew. And sister, you can't control this sister over here in this pew. You, we can't control anyone. You know who we can control? Ourselves. To know the estate and men our responsibility is the heads of our families, pastors. It's your responsibility as the heads of your churches, leaders in the church. It's your responsibility to know the standing of your circle of influence, who you can train. And I am responsible for those two little boys right there. It's my job to know the state of where those boys are. It's your responsibility, men, to lead your family, to know, to be organized, to know the state of your family. It's a shame that in independent Baptist churches, we can be so minded about everybody else that those in our own house, husbands and wives, aren't even connected enough to know that we're, we're, we're busy dealing with this brother's spiritual struggle. We're dealing with this sister's spiritual tr struggle. We're counseling these people. We're over here doing this good work for these people. And we forget about our wife, men, that's sitting beside us. We forget about our kids in our own home. They have struggles too. They're trying to learn how to be Christians too. If they're, they're lost, they're trying to just learn how to do what mommy and daddy tell them to do and to the point that they can understand what sin really is. If, if they're saved, they're growing up in a wicked world and seeing a lot of this stuff for the first time just like you are. Because realistically speaking... This world gets worse and worse and worse exponentially every day. And we look out and we see the wickedness of this world. And we're appalled. And we know what's right and wrong. Our kids are having to see this for the first time too. And they don't know what to expect. They don't know at this point, even if they're saved. Teenagers. I have, I, I, I'm a youth pastor at our church. And, and we have uh, eight kids from, from 13 to 18 in our church right now. And one thing that I've understood, that I've recognized, that I've realized is that they have more questions and more problems than I think half of us adults give them credit for because they're going through a lot of these things that they're trying to figure out whether they want to serve God because mommy and daddy told them to and that's how they've been raised or they want to serve God because that's what God wants them to do and that's what they want to do for themselves or that's what they want to do because God has changed their hearts. They have some struggles that they're going through. Don't neglect your herd. Don't neglect your family to be organized. Understand where the closest to you, they have some problems. Be organized, men. Train your families and don't neglect your other half, your wife, your kids that are there. To be organized, to understand the state of thy flocks and to look well to thy herds. And 
I'll just give you the top points for these next few, and then we'll close. In, in Proverbs chapter 27, uh, verse 23, we saw to get organized. To learn a new skill or hobby, we're always in our Christian lives to be uh, pushing forward, learning new skills. It goes back to the military training aspect. We're soldiers of God. You have to continually learn, continually progress. In Psalm 32, verse 8, uh, David says, I will guide thee. He's, he's, he's speaking with God, and God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, those things which you have both learned, means he had to learn something and received and heard and seen in me do in the God of peace shall be with you. Jesus, in John chapter 14, he's looking at, at Philip and, and, and he's saying, uh, they're, they're talking about the Father and, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and Peter says, well, or Philip rather says, well, show us the Father. Jesus, we, I don't understand what you're saying. Show him to us. If, if you say we've seen him, who is he? And John looks at Philip and he says, Philip, have, have I been so long with you? And you still don't understand? You still haven't learned yet? Jesus himself expected his disciples to learn new things and to be uh, better off today than they were yesterday. I'm sure he expects us to do the same thing. He said, I've given you my word. When that which is perfect is come, that which is complete is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. We can give a little bit of understanding to those in the New Testament that we're just learning who Jesus Christ was and we're putting all of the scriptures of the Old Testament together with who the Messiah was. And maybe there were some things that they didn't understand. But if we're saved, we're born again, we've got the Holy Ghost in us, the, 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 the uh, mystery of godliness, the Holy Spirit working in us. If we have that and we have the scriptures, which are complete, then why aren't we progressing? Why aren't we learning? Why don't we know these things? Why do most New Year's resolutions fail? Because we're lazy, because we give up on them. Why do we not know new, th new things about the scripture? Because we're lazy, because we give up. Because we, we allow Satan to distract us from the work that we have to do. So to learn new skills, to learn new hobbies, to live life to the fullest. And this to the world means to live and do whatever in the world you want to do. And to be happy doing it because this is your only life. And to just fulfill your, all your worldly lusts. But we find out that <laughs> Solomon says that that's, that's all vanity. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't amount to anything. And he was the wisest man in the world that's ever lived. According to Jesus' own words, I'm sure that we could take his word for it. To live life to the fullest, Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. To live life to the fullest, your Christian life should be lived absolutely everything you are, the fullest of your being, immersed in what God wants you to do. Immersed in his word Oh, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And he told the young man, on this you can hang all of the other Ten Commandments. You can hang all of the other, he said, on this thing, all the law and the prophets. He didn't say the other Ten Commandments. He said, everything that's accounted for in the books of Moses, you can sum up, love God, and love your neighbor. Moving on, to save more money or to spend less money. The Bible has nothing wrong with money. In fact, the, the, the Bible says the servant's worthy of his hire. Uh, we find out... Uh, that, that uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, again, Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, charge them which are rich in this world. You have some men that are wealthy in your church. Let them know that the wealth that they have is not for themselves. It's for the distribution to the poor. In verse 18, they that, uh, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to communicate, laying up, for them laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time 
to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This is another theme that we find in all of these goals is that we're to be laying up things that will last in eternal life and not last in just this world. Everything that we have, the, the, in Matthew chapter 25, we see the parable of the three servants that were given talents. And the, the, the master commended the two that used the talents, the money that they were given, and gained more by their work, by doing what they were told to do. He commended them. So there's nothing wrong with gaining money, with being wealthy. But if you're gaining wealth just for yourself and not to help the cause of Christ, and you're doing it all for the wrong reason, the Bible says that those bags are going to grow holes in them. To quit smoking, simply put, lay down the bad habits. We all have bad habits, and they don't have to be, uh, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang around with those that do. Absolutely, yeah, 100% correct. But that, that, there are other bad habits that we have. Sitting down playing with our phones for hours on end, sitting down watching TV for hours on end, and, and, and even good things that are considered bad habits. We go out and we can spend all day in the garage and never once uh, think about what God had or, or never once look at a, a Bible verse, but we've been out tinkering in the garage all day. I mean, nothing bad, but they're, they're habits that we get into, just things that we do repetitively without even thinking about, hey, how is this affecting me? spiritually in my goals for God, to spend more time with family and friends. And this goes back to training those that are in your circle to know what's going on with your family, to spend more time with family and friends. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, to train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he won't depart from it. How are you going to train your children unless you're with them? Guys, we can get so caught up in the things of this world and building a house and building a family and making money and doing work for God and all of the things that are good that we forget to spend time with the, those that matter. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we find out that it was the responsibility of, of, of the older generation to spend time with the kids and tell them about the, uh, how they were delivered from Egypt and delivered from uh, walk through the Red Sea and how God brought them to Canaan land. And when they ask you what these stones mean, tell them that this is what they mean. And, and, and oh my goodness, we could go to those verses, but we don't have time about how it was our responsibility to spend time with one another and to teach and train one another that you wouldn't forget that the next generation wouldn't grow up not knowing what God had done for them. To travel more. Mark 16 and verse 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You want to travel more? Absolutely. Your travels include going to the grocery store, include going anywhere you go to work, the store, to school, whatever it is, take the gospel with you. And a significant verse in that passage, verse 20 says, And they went forth, they did, what the, they did what they were told. Jesus said, Go ye into all the world, And verse 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. If you want to accomplish God's work, the Lord working with you, if you're going to do what God's asked you to do, don't think he's just going to leave you on your own. It says the Lord working with them. And lastly and most importantly, to read more. If there's any one thing that you can do in your spiritual life to gain goals, to be better, is to read more of the Bible. Amen. We spend so much time wasting time doing everything else. And I'm guilty of it. Just as much as anyone else. To spend time, we want to know more about God. We need to read more of his word. How can you have a communication with somebody that, or expect to have a good relationship with somebody that you speak to for 30 seconds a day, 
We, we say, thank you for this food, God, and that's, that's all we get. We read our uh, daily verse on our app, and, oh, that's, that's as good as it gets. I, you can't have a meaningful relationship with somebody you only see for a couple hours a week on Sunday morning, Sunday night. You, you can't have a meaningful relationship unless you're communicating, reading the Word of God, prayer, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We want to be that complete, that mature Christian that God wants us to be. It's important that we pay attention to all Scripture because it's profitable for us. All of these things are good goals that we need to set, not just for the new year, but for each new day. To pay attention to, Lord, what am I doing now that I need to change? And then when God reveals those things to us, when you're praying, when you, you, you sit down and you say, Lord, show me something. God reveals it to you, write it down. I'm, not, I'm serious. Get a journal. Get a, get, a, get a notebook. Because Satan's really good about when we're having that moment with God and we, we, we wake up in the morning or the evening or whenever. You don't wake up in the evening. When you wake up in the morning, you spend time with God, you get home from work, or whenever you do your devotions, and God shows you something, you, you go on about your day, and you've got that in your mind, but Satan's real good to use something of the day to distract you from what God's told you. Write it down. You'll remember it better. God can use you. You'd be surprised to see, Lord, what, what goals can I attain for you? What goals do you want me to set for today? What do you want me to accomplish today? There's nothing wrong with having good scriptural goals. You write them down and you go back a couple weeks later and you look at your daily log of things that you endeavor to do for God and you ask God to help you do them. What goals do you want me to accomplish, God? And God reveals some things to you. See how many of those you actually checked off the list. You'll be surprised that if we actually let God work with us and work in us and Jesus working with them, be surprised at how many things you can accomplish but we're too busy about the cares of this world and the cares of this life and worrying about the, the bodily exercise that profiteth little, the physical things, the, the nonsense that we take part in, our, our jobs. They're not nonsense. They're good. We have to have them. But don't let those things distract you from the truth of why we're here, and that's to bring others with us to heaven, to fulfill the joy that is set before Jesus Christ was to see people saved, and we should have the same endeavors. Let's